Would you stay standing for the reading of the word today? And even uh, not just standing, but lean in just a little bit so you can feel your toes in the front of your shoes because this word is for us. It's a picture of what the early church looked like and it's a pattern for us yet today. I'll be reading from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Lord, we, we want to be your church. And we want to be a church that is healthy and vibrant and alive, fed by you. And so would you open the mouths of our hearts today to receive the bread of your word, to be nourished by it, that we can be strengthened to be your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Before I uh, share a little bit about the passage for today, I just wanted to acknowledge that maybe not for all of us, but for many of us in this room, uh, there was a sense of God's presence. It's hard to describe, hard to put into words, but as we were worshiping just now, as Camille was reading scripture, as we were praying, there was just a sense of something, something that's not normal. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we talk about what we're talking about this January and February. Because we're going to talk about what early believers devoted themselves to. Like devoted themselves to. Really disciplined in. And if we focus on the devotion, and if we focus on our discipline then we can easily become religious or self-righteous or we can say it's just not for us. But it's not about the discipline. It's not about the devotion. It's about how do we stay connected to this person, the one who created everything, the one who created me, the one who created you. The one who didn't just create us, but called us. Called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And says, walk in my light. How do we walk in the light? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Here are ways that groups of people that experienced Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh as a human being, that experienced his presence, that experienced his forgiveness, that experienced his saving power, 
said, we want to stay with him. He gets our life because of this person, this being, this one who loves us. We're saying, you get it all. You gave us everything. We want to give you everything back. So we do it for the person. We don't do it just for the sake of rules, because then it gets legalistic and religious. But there are two ditches. There's a ditch that says we are going to be, you know, we're going to do everything right, and we're going to make sure everyone else does everything right. And, we're just... and then there's the ditch on the other side that just says, eh, it doesn't really matter. So, in what Camille just read, dear... Nope. Yep. Thank you. I want to look at verse 46 again, which says that this group of people who came to put their faith in Jesus, they didn't originally. This was after he had rose from the dead and after he ascended. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day. They met in the temple courts and in their homes as part of intentionally following Jesus. Every day. And the question I want us to wrestle with, even as we look at what they did as they met every day, is just how often do you think you need to meet with other people to be encouraged in your faith and to live Jesus' way as opposed to the ways of the world. And why is it that we seem to, in the here and now, most of us think we could meet together with other believers a couple times a month? Whereas they were meeting every day. And in my reading of church history, there's a way in which this wasn't just a in the Bible times thing. When people came to a vibrant faith, and when I say people, like groups of people, communities of people came to faith, they would meet together every day. I gave an example last week, the Ukrainian refugees and immigrants that are here meet maybe not every day, but they're meeting all the time to encourage their faith. Do we think we've graduated where we don't need that? Or maybe is it revealing of where the priority is in our lives of Jesus? I'm not saying everybody needs to meet every day. I'm definitely not saying we need to meet here every day. But let's evaluate how often we meet and what that says about our priorities. So what did they do? This is what we're going to talk about for the next uh, seven weeks. We started it last week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is going to be the second week on that. To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We're going to do two weeks on each of those four things. Two weeks on fellowship, two weeks on the breaking of bread, and two weeks on prayer. Now, last week, when we talked about the apostles' teaching, trying to figure out we don't have Peter and James and John here teaching to us, so what does it mean for us? What would it look like for us to vote ourselves to apostles' teaching? And so we looked at what Peter's sermon was. 
his teaching was about the good news, the gospel. This is who Jesus is. And so he, he, he told them, we looked at it, he told them how Jesus came. God came as a human being in Jesus. He did miracles, signs, and wonders. He lived a holy, perfect life. He was crucified wrongly, having never done anything wrong, and yet he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, and then the Spirit was given to those who aligned themselves with Jesus. So he talked about in his teaching, here's what God did for us out of his love in the person of Jesus. And then they ask, well, what should we do? And so part of the teaching is you're, you need to repent. Repent means to change the way you think. Repent means to turn, turn away from sin and evil and turn toward Jesus. And then you can receive forgiveness and you can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't just repent one time. So 3,000 of them were baptized. They did repent. They said, we were against Jesus. Now we're going to turn and we're going to live for Jesus. But we need to keep doing that as often as we realize, no, these are things that take me away from Jesus. I need to turn and live for Jesus. And my turning to Jesus, I need to gather with other people. At least sometimes. I can't do it on my own. So we are encouraging everyone, let's practice gathering, but not just any kind of gathering. We're gathering focused on Jesus, focused on what he did for us. And here are some, some ways they gathered, some things they were committed to. What might you and I do in that? How could we practice gathering? So with the apostles' teaching, I think it's important to know they did sit under someone teaching, like people taught them. This is like I'm doing right now. That is part of the equation. But that's not all that it means. And I think I can easily start to think, well, it's just about like a lot of not. He, he knows more. If he went to seminary, if he did studied enough books, if he's... I don't think that's primarily what the apostles' teaching would have brought about. In another part, it says, you know, when we're talking about the apostle John, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've heard him. It's about the person's relationship with Jesus. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples right before he left, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He said, Jesus came out and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when I hear teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, it's like, that sounds like a lot of rules. I'm probably not going to be very good at that. Look at how Jesus summarized his command right before he was crucified, the night before he was crucified. John 13, verse 34, says, a new command I give you. This is the main command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you you must love one another. I think that a primary teaching that the apostles were doing is to know how much you're loved. To know, how, to know Jesus and how much he loves you so that you can become the kind of person who loves other people better. Now we're, now we're majoring in it. Now we're passing the exam. Doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge, trivia, things you can get right. Do we know we're loved and do we love? We need to learn how to do that. It doesn't come naturally to me. Maybe it comes naturally to a lot of you. It doesn't come naturally to me. 
So, I want to take a little bit of time going through the scripture before I bring us to a close with a few um, applications, examples. But what I want to do is show you another aspect of the apostles' teaching that I think is, is important for us to keep in front of us as we gather. So, again, I'm going to go to what was the apostles' teaching right then? What was the apostles' teaching as it led into this group that stayed devoted and met together every day? So you remember, if you were here last week, that I said the context was for 10 days they had gathered together, joined constantly together in prayer, 120 of them, as Jesus commanded, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came with wind. The Holy Spirit came with fire. The Holy Spirit came with a loud sound. The Holy Spirit came with people speaking other languages all of a sudden spontaneously. And people thought they were drunk. And then Peter, one of the apostles, got up and did this teaching. And I'm going to read some of it. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He goes and reads the Hebrew Bible what we would now call the Old Testament, their scriptures. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to, be, to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The apostles often did is they would go back to their Bible, their scriptures. And what they're explaining here is this is how it's fulfilled. Now it's only partially fulfilled. Some of it is yet to be fulfilled. But here's how it's being fulfilled in their day. We probably aren't looking like this is how it's being fulfilled in our day. Maybe this is how certain promises of God are being fulfilled in our life. But we would go to the Bible and say, this is how it can be applied to us today. That's part of their teaching. A little bit later, he's talked about Jesus uh, being handed over and crucified and raising from the dead. And then, verse 25, David said about him, he's quoting Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. He reads the scripture. Then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured it out what you now see and hear. For, God did, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, now he's quoting Psalm 110, again going back to the scripture, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, I would like us to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that listens to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit wind blows and we respond, that does things in power among us, like just demonstrates God is alive, Jesus is who he says he is, he's really here for us now. I would like all that. So I would like us to put out a big sail. My father-in-law is a sailor. Big, big sail to catch as much of the wind of the Holy Spirit as I can. At the same time, a sailboat has a ballast, a keel. It has this thing that counterbalances underneath. And if you put out a big, huge sail, but you only have a little ballast, then then the wind blows, you just right into the water. You need that thing underneath that stabilizes If you read Acts, the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, unprecedentedly, all sorts of ways. They're responding to the living God in all sorts of ways, but they also keep going back to the Scripture. They know the Scripture. They've been focused on the Scripture and the gospel of Jesus, and that creates that ballast underneath. We need both. So, John, here's how Jesus talked about the Hebrew Scripture. The old, what we have is the Old Testament. Oh, dear. John chapter 20? No, Luke. That's why I'm messed up. Okay. Luke chapter 24. He's risen from the dead. He is appearing to the apostles, the apostles who are going to teach about them. And just a few verses, he, he says this. This is Jesus. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still here, still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. This is the Hebrew Bible. This is what we would call our Old Testament. And Jesus says everything is written, there's all kinds of things written about him in there that he fulfills. Verse 45, then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus says We need help, we need the Holy Spirit, we need him to open our minds to understand it, but the scriptures, even the Old Testament scriptures before he came are all pointing to him. They're all pointing. So the apostles' teaching is taking the Bible and pointing it to Jesus. What does this say about Jesus? And what does it say to us then? What are are there promises here for us to receive? Are there commands here for us to obey? But it's all pointing to him. One more passage in 2 Peter, because I've been talking about examples of how in our Bibles, the apostles and even Jesus himself kept pointing back to the Hebrew scriptures because they didn't have these other scriptures, the New Testament scriptures yet. But even as they're not fully developed, listen to this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. It's already 
being talked about Paul's letters as scriptures. The same way that over time, writings were collected over hundreds of years from the prophets about their history, songbook and prayer book, it's all being accumulated. And this, this isn't just like any other book. This isn't just like devotional reading. This is God's word to us and sacred to us. The same thing happens with the apostles' teaching over decades. There are many gospels written, not just the four we have in our Bible, but many of the other ones that were written much after the apostles were dead do not have a test to Jesus in the same way. They started to use through wisdom, through the line of succession of, of apostles and who came after him, these are the things that we hold to be the scriptures. And so if we are going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we devote ourselves to the New Testament. That is what the apostles' teaching is passed on to us. It's the four gospels about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's the story of the early church in the book of Acts. It's the letters that come from Paul and from Peter and from John, the apostles. These are the things that we can be devoted to that will help us. Last passage I'm going to read is from Acts chapter 16. And I, what I want to note here is there is something to be said for sitting and listening to a teaching or putting in your ear, your, you know, things in your ears and listening to a teaching. That is good to have someone else explain scripture so you can see things you wouldn't normally see or things that you don't really want to see could be brought before you. But I don't think that's the only way. It is good for us to read on our own. Absolutely, that is good, to meditate and prayerfully read on our own. But there's something about gathering to read Scripture, about what do you think, what do you think, what do I think in processing it? What are we going to do with it? How are we going to apply it? There is something about gathering. And so in Berea, the Berean church, Chapter, oh, I guess it's 17, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They had heard the apostles' teaching. They, are, they had heard someone's teaching, but they themselves, in a group, in a community, every day, looked at the scriptures together to see if it's true. What's the result? As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. What I'd like to encourage you to consider is how might you gather with other people around this? Again, trying to figure out what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to if we're devoted to Jesus? the one who loves us and gave himself for us. In John, he says, you diligently study the scriptures. That's what we should do. They all point to me, he says. We want to know Jesus. We need this. Could we gather and do it? Now, the gathering can look all sorts of ways. Last week, Nick McGonigal shared with me an idea he had. He has. He's, he said, what I'd like to do is just get together with, you know, Three or four people pick out one verse that we all say, we're going to memorize this verse, and we're going to think about this verse for the next three or four days, then get back together, talk about what it was like, how did that verse impact our life, pick out the next verse, and do it again. It's like, that's brilliant. 
you got one verse that you're keeping before you all the time, but you're doing it with other people so that it actually makes a difference in your life. Now, there are other things you can do. This is a great chance to say, I'm interested. I'd like to learn to hear God through the Bible. I'll sign up for Lectio Divina. I'd like to do how to read the Bible, how to pray. A number of you have done how to read the Bible and how to pray, or at least we've had a number of people do it. There's quite a few that haven't. Um, What I would say about that is I've done how to read the Bible. I'm not positive that I've done it three times. I know I've done it twice. I know I've done how to read the, or how to pray three times. Now, I, Camille and I wrote it, and then I've done it more than once. So you'd think that by the time you're doing it the second time, it might be like, hmm. But the reality is, every time I get a ton out of it. How is, why is that true? It's not because it's the most awesome thing in the world that's ever been written. It's because it has you get in your Bible, and God speaks to us through the Bible. And he might speak through a passage one way to me right now, and in two years, another way to me through that same passage. So that's one of the reasons. Just getting in God's word, if you ask the Holy Spirit, he just keeps speaking. That's how he does it. But the other thing is, when you, if it was me just going through it on my own, this curriculum, then it wouldn't have the same. But I'm gathered with different people. And when you gather with people, they bring something, I never saw that before. I've never asked that question before. One of the things I most enjoy is people who've never read the Bible before. I learn at least as much, if not more, than from somebody who knows a ton about the Bible when it's with someone who's just actually eager and hungry to understand the Bible and what's in the Bible, and they start bringing up their questions, and then I grow. So I'm, I'm going to be in two groups that start in January and probably another one that starts in February. None of them will have anything to do with what I'm teaching on Sunday, but they will all be centered around this. One of them is just every other week, five or six weeks at a time. The thing I like about six weeks at a time, you don't have, you don't have to be like, ah, this is going to be my best friends for life, right? Just be with people. But again, some of my best groups and studies aren't the people that I would think, this is the, the right people, they're my age, they think like me, no. It's like, God, this is part of God's family, and he just throws us together, and it's good. So I want to encourage you all to think about how, in 2023, might you gather with other people, and if you have no idea, maybe you should sign up, even if it's like, well, maybe not this round, but I do want to do it, and this will help hold me accountable. I'm interested the next time something comes up. Gather with other people around the word. It's part of our knowing who he is and coming into his presence. I'm going to close with something in a, in a little bit. Um, and I wasn't sure about doing it. The thought came to my mind yesterday. And mostly in this worship service last night that I was at, or worship gathering, whatever it was, you know, I had no roles or responsibilities. I'm not thinking about like what's, what should be next in the service or, you know, Who's going to be mad at me or anything? I mean, I'm just there to worship. Not that very many of you get mad at me very often, but you know what I mean. It just There's things that can go in my mind. I, I'm just there to worship, so mostly that's what I was doing. At one point, I was thinking about today, it just kind of popped into my head, am I going to do this thing to end the service before we do our closing song? And uh, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't sure, but I just said, you know, if I do it, Lord, 
Uh, may the, your word going out not return to you void. It's from Isaiah 55. So I just pray that prayer. The song ends. They come up. They, they say, you know, our group's really been led to Isaiah 55. I haven't thought about Isaiah 55 in forever. Our group's really been led to Isaiah 55, and we're going to read it now. Matt couldn't see the screen. He couldn't read or something. So you might Shayla to come up because he can't read from here. I get it. You know, I can't see either, Matt. I didn't mean to accidentally throw you under the bus. No. So Shayla comes up, and she's going to read Isaiah 55, and she says, you know, but before I do, I've just, God's put on my heart Isaiah 22, and I want to release something to you. And so she shares Isaiah 22 and then what it means, you know, just the, what, what, why she thinks that's a word for us to hear. So afterwards, I go over and talk to one of the other pastors from Knoxville who's at the service. And we're talking about, like, boy, this is a great way to get ready for a service Sunday morning. He's like, yeah. And he's like, and I'm preaching on Isaiah 22 tomorrow. I'm like, I never heard anybody preach on Isaiah 22. I mean, it's like an obscure passage. There's a lot in here. And yet... That's how God speaks. And we see it more when we do it in our community. What's he saying to you? What do you think he's saying to us? What is, and if God's not real, then this is not that great. If you're just using it to prove a point, this is, I mean, you're better off not. But if you want to know him and that he's alive, say, hey, lead me as I read it. And lead me in gathering with other people that we can learn together. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And how we're going to, we're going to have, we have one song left. But before we do it, I'm just going to do what I've done a couple times this week. I'm laying in bed. And I just say, God, I, I'm thinking about whether the Lions are going to make the playoffs. I'm thinking about, you know, what I got to do tomorrow. I'm thinking about a lot, everything but you. I want to come back to you. And so I say, can you bring scripture to mind? And I have passages memorized, some of them pretty close to accurate, and some of them the gist. And just brings passages, some from the Psalms, some from the Gospels about Jesus, some from different spots, and I just start slowly letting them go in my head. So that's what I'm going to do. I don't know if it's going to be one passage. I don't know if it's going to be several. I don't know if I'm going to try to do it from memory. I don't know if I'm going to look it up and read it. I'm just going to let Scripture come. I, I don't know what one I'm going to pick. I told Camille last night I was going to do this, and she said, well, that's funny because the, the, uh, the passage that I feel like I'm supposed to share at the beginning as a call to worship says, open, open your mouth and, and I will fill it. The Lord says, open your mouth and I will fill it. And so my wondering is if for some of you, there could be like one of these, like, this is a word of the Lord for you. Like, I don't know if that's going to be true, but it might be. But even if it's not, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about Jesus washing us with his word. There's something about just the word of God coming over us, washing away all these other voices and thoughts and messages that don't align with him, that come from within us, that come from around us.
So before our closing song, God, would you speak to us through your word? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And also from Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God be saying in this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Romans chapter 3 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Stay there. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that, for this reason, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace to us. In Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm. Listen to why he came. He 
gates into why he came. That God could raise you up with Christ and seat you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. Is there anything else, Lord? Thank you for your word. Would you keep putting your word in us? Would you keep using your word to point us to you, to you with us, to how you would have us respond? In Jesus' name, amen.